Hello, and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. Uh, Stephen, it's one of our rare night recordings. You and I are here to talk about a video game that I think we're both like wildly excited to talk about and just unbelievably nervous to have to discuss on a podcast. Yeah, it, 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 will fe- it will sound a little bit like we're both describing a dream we had and also give you the same anxiety of like an unironic Charlie Day with a whiteboard like <laughs> connecting things. <laughs> um, we're talking about 13 Sentinels Igis Rim. Uh, this is a game that has been recommended to us directly um, by Rob K from the Discord. Yeah. Uh, and other people too. And it's also like, it's not anywhere in like the spotlight of game discourse, but there's like strong echoes of it if you if you look for it. Yeah. Um, most notably, Yokotaro said like this is the best game or something like that in his own way. It was more like indirect and weird than that because that's how Yokotaro talks. Yeah. But- Yokotaro says something along the lines of VanillaWare, who are the developers. Um, the video game industry is better because VanillaWare exists, and then ple- like that, pleaded yeah. that everybody buy Thirteen Sentinels. Um, and the and other Sakurai. person, yeah, I was just about to say the other person who like was uh, praising it recently was uh, Sakurai, who is the creator of Super Smash Brothers. So two very high recommendations from two great game designers, uh, both game designers and narrative designers, I would say. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, Rob K in our discord has been um, singing his praises for a while. The, the patron saint of the ages. Uh, and uh, a couple other people in Discord have picked it up based on their recommendation. And um, th- th- two of those people are Steven and I. We just kind of picked it up on a whim um, last week. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. So like this, you know, this was floating around. Like we even talked about it like a week two or, or two. three weeks ago. You and I talked yeah, about picking this yeah. game up. Maybe. I think yeah. I think I said I bought it at the end of last episode. because I was like, mm-hmm. whatever, let's just do it. Because like we do the show to celebrate games. And if there's even if there are only four people who are that passionate about it. You know, going back to Spellbreak, this is the game of waiting for my whole life, said uh, <laughs> Percy's brother. Yeah. Like, I, if anyone feels that strongly, I, I'm going to check it out. Right. But I'll be honest, like, I, three weeks ago when it first came up, I, I looked it up on the PS4 store and I watched the trailer and, like, I wasn't really pulled in. Like, I, I thought that yeah. some things looked cool, but, like, was off put by other things, which we might touch on as we talk about the game. Mm-hmm. And it's also worth noting it's full $60. So, like, my, my own mantra for me, not to say what's worth what but like i will take a risk on 40 dollars or less i gotta know like i'm gonna like this for 60 you yeah, know absolutely so i i kind of slept on it um and then uh, after the second wave of recommendations rob k and our two dads sakurai and yokotaro saying get this uh-huh. uh i was like fine fine i'll do it and i'm so glad i did because then what followed was like uh, me instantly falling into a REM sleep and then waking up three days later and I had finished the game in, in its entirety. <laughs> yeah, which is reminiscent of another game that you did the same with that you love dearly, which is Persona 5. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It, maybe not since. And I guess Three Houses, too. But like, yeah, even more like this and Persona 5 were were the games that like the way the narrative is delivered. I just couldn't drop. It never felt like I could drop it. Yeah. Uh, and and we'll talk more about that. But um, all that to say, I'm going to add at least my voice to the choir, people recommending this game. It's very special. Um, I think the quote Sakurai said is, there was never a game like this and there will never be a game like this again. Like everyone <laughs> should buy it. Yeah. And I might agree with that. Um, I've definitely got caveats for it. And I think whereas like Hades is a game that I could say like everyone's going to enjoy this. This is maybe a little bit more niche I in totally some ways. Agree. Yeah. 
But in terms of like a game exploring narrative and how a game delivers that narrative, this game does that in a fascinating way. And the story itself is one of the cooler sci-fi experiences I've had like in recent memory. It's it's really wonderful. My elevator pitch, if you want to nothing else, I think I said this in the Discord, but it's if your name, Evangelion and Stranger Things fuse together and then pulled a lever somewhere and Nickelodeon slime of plot twists just fell onto you. <laughs> As a recipient, <laughs> I've never had a piece of media that loved plot twists more than this. Like even and that Shyamalan stuff. This yeah. this game loves plot twists, and somehow it pulls it all off. Um, I'll say too, we're probably maybe light spoilers here, uh, but we'll probably do another episode because Brendan, you have yet to finish the whole thing. You're very close, but you have yet to finish it. Yeah, we'll probably do like a spoiler episode once we're both done. So look forward to that if you've already finished it. But this will just sort of be us talking about the game and maybe touching on the story a bit. Yeah, um, I, I do want to mention right up top, uh, this is a game developed by VanillaWare, which I mentioned before. Um, they are known for a few games in particular, um, one of them being Odin Sphere, way back on the PS2. Um, all their games t- seem to be published by Atlas, but Odin Sphere, way back when, uh, a game that people have a lot of really fond memories for, eventually got re-released for the Vita, if I'm not mistaken. It's a game that's been yeah. on my backlog like forever. I've always wanted to check it out. People speak very highly of Odin Sphere. Um, Muramasa, which I don't really know anything about, but I just remember like hearing about in the zeitgeist and the other one which i think you and i are going to drill down a little bit more into um is dragon's crown which i think also was a vita exclusive originally or maybe it was vita and ps3 and then eventually made it to the ps4 um dragon's crown is a game that i picked up on the playstation vita because no games came out on the playstation vita uh so i was like oh a game i'll play that sick yeah uh published by atlas so i was like okay you know persona 4 golden people that was all i knew at that point about atlas i was like okay cool persona 4 golden people say that this is the next game great i'm gonna pick it up and then it comes out and immediately there's just like tons and tons and tons and tons of discourse about their like extremely extremely like over sexualized character designs in that game just like wild absolutely wild decisions yeah made. it makes jessica rabbit look subtle levels of like yeah uh you know and i i think uh yeah it, it's it, that game in particular is like it, it just looks like a joke it's not it does <laughs> no i, I totally know. agree yeah. i i yeah. i think it looks actually like a joke like it's it's i from what i've heard so i bought that game i ended up playing like maybe five minutes of it and i was like this is yeah. extremely off-putting <laughs> and then i put it down immediately um i've heard that that game plays very well um but i just i can't get past that personally and honestly yeah. ever since then i've had like kind of been like yeah i don't really know you know if, if this developer comes out with something new i don't really know how much i'm going to care about it in particular um and I was very surprised that this was their next game, I think, because uh, compared to Dragon's Crown, it is very subtle. <laughs> it is like, yeah, they have like there is exactly one character who they give the Dragon's Crown treatment, which yes. like is my big caveat of the game because it's it's just so silly. Yeah. Like, and I want to touch on this briefly because this is a hard thing to uh to draw a line in the sand on. Right. And again, I mean, it's worth noting also, and we mentioned this a lot, but we are like two white guys who have a video game podcast. So like, we're not, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. we're not the bastion of takes here. Please. Like, right. Way more people have done way better writing on this kind of stuff than we will ever say here. Um, yeah, but I absolutely. just, I have to at least make our voices heard in this instance. Totally. Yeah. But I think like, I think a good example of this is like, look at a game like Hades where like every character is super attractive and, like that's like a, a it's part of the vibe of the game yeah but the design there is true to the character like 
Aphrodite and Dionysus are basically naked because that's who they are as people. Right. Um, but like everyone is like designed in a way that is emblematic of who they are. And their appeal is dynamic to that. Um, I think that like sexuality is inherently part of design and, and that appeal is ultimately subjective, but it's also like part of making a character and giving them life. But when it becomes like, as I've described, like a, a, a misguided 14 year old's understanding of anatomy and like that character yeah. who is supposed to be taken seriously, who is in a scene that is serious, has their idol animation as them like just ass to the camera and like cannot hold up their breasts because they're so big. Like that's just slapstick at that point. Yeah. Like, that's not even like it's just too much. And, and, I, it, and I remember you at a point also telling me like, I think there might be intentionality behind this, but it's taking a really long time to get to. And then eventually you circled back. You're like, there is no intentionality behind this. Oh, this is just the way that it, is. it was. It was almost like they couldn't help themselves, which yeah. almost makes it embarrassing. Right. It feels like someone told them like, hey, you can't do what you did in Dragon's Crown. And someone sneaked one character in. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Anyway, um, it eventually didn't become an issue anymore. But like I. I can it's so distracting and it's so embarrassing that like totally fine if it is. I think most people will see it and just laugh and move on. But if that's enough to like rub you the wrong way, it certainly was for me when I watched the trailer and I didn't buy it, you know, right. but having actually played the game like everything else is wonderful. Everything else is like tremendous. And even that character is interesting. It just I don't know why they chose to design her that way. <laughs> right. You know, right. Because right, yeah. she's not even like a femme fatale or anything she's just like a it will it will talk about yeah it. i don't know yeah it's it's really it's really hard to talk about really anything specific about this game <laughs> with, without fear of spoiling things um yeah but yeah no i i very much agree with you i just i just think my my specific grievance is that like it doesn't even fit in with the rest of the art direction in the rest of yeah. the game like like that one character in particular stands out so much because no one else is designed in that way um it's really a bizarre choice but anyway um, just wanted to like put that right up front. Like that's, I think the big caveat that you and I have is like, yeah, this might be the reason that you don't want to play the game and that's totally fine. But just to get it out of the way, I think early on, because we're about to heap a lot of praise on this thing. And I mentioned last week, was it last week's episode? I guess it was uh, last week's episode about Tokyo Mirage Sessions. I was like, I, I'm warning you in advance. There's a specific kind of person who's going to hear this episode and be like upset that we're going to praise this game this much. And then we ended up not, which I think was probably for the best. Um, that is not going <laughs> to happen in this episode at all. I, I think uh, there is, dear listener, this is this year's near automata like this is the game that at uh, game of the year time there's going to be a round table of people and one person emphatically is going to put their foot down and say 13 sentinels is the best game of the year and they're going to be fucking right and nobody else will agree with them because nobody else will have played it and you dear listener can be one of the people that played 13 sentinels <laughs> because we're warning you in advance um this is this game is like I, I always hate when I do this is like back of the box shit, but like it is it is an achievement of narrative design. It is, I think, just to like set the table in a way. This game is a visual novel, which I think is going to turn a lot of people off immediately. But just bear with me because I've played a lot of visual novels in the past. I actually tend to like them a whole lot. 
the way that this game is exploring the idea of how a visual novel works and how it can work, I think is on a completely different level than anything I've experienced before, because a lot of visual novels tend to be you are moving a character around a screen, but like you're essentially moving the character around a cutscene in a way, and you're just progressing through dialogue. And every once in a while, you're making narrative decisions, um, not unlike a Telltale game or something along those lines. But uh, what, what this game is allowing you to do is play as any of 13 different characters progress their story kind of almost at whatever speed you want uh, and make decisions within those storylines, which will impact the storylines of the other 12. And while it's doing all of that, while it's allowing you that choice of picking between any of these 13 characters, they're also telling a cohesive and constantly shocking story um, that somehow makes sense the more you play it. Um, And that could mean you play one character's story from beginning to end and you think that you know a whole lot about the way the the world works. And it turns out as soon as you play another character's, you know, one to five percent of their story, it completely unravels everything you thought you knew about that one character um, and and what you thought you knew about the world. So there's a lot of really interesting shit happening just on the visual novel side. And then on the other side of that, there's also this like incredible real time strategy mech fighting game that also happens. Uh, all of these uh, 13 characters can pilot these things called Sentinels, which allow them to fight Kaiju in a city, essentially just a Japanese city. Um, so you have two very, very different versions of gameplay that are happening here. Um, and really, they just kind of serve to kind of balance each other out. Um, you'll be playing the visual novel for probably anywhere between like five to 10 hours. Um, and then it'll say like, hey, why don't you take a break and go do some battles for a little bit? And you're thrilled to go do the battles for a bit because the battles are fucking sick. They're really fun. Um, and you'll do that for a little while and you get your like hit of uh, Evangelion fight scenes. Uh, and then you go back to the visual novels again. Um, it is uh, m- miraculous. It is a miraculous thing that it works as well as it does. I agree. I would say um, just to touch on. So like when you start the game, it begins uh, what they call the prologue where mm-hmm. you have to experience the first the, the prologue of I think five or six characters stories yeah. and in between each story you do a battle uh, so like in that point it's like you have to do that order once you finish the prologue which I would say like I would say this game has a slow start at least it did for me if you pick it up and you're like not feeling it give it the prologue because then what happens is you can then choose whose whose story you want to continue first yeah and from those five and then by playing those five you start to unlock the other characters unlock more yeah. and and the menu is like you'll see uh it's remembrance which like perfect yeah uh that's the that's the visual novel i would actually add to that i think it's like visual novel meets the most streamlined tim schafer game like it has <laughs> point and click dna as well yeah and totally. I think the best mechanic that kind of makes those moments still feel like a game is that uh, there are key words your character will remember. And whenever you press triangle, it opens with what they call the thought cloud. And it will be like the character kind of poses and like scratches their chin. And you like can cycle through all these like bolded terms that when you select the character will kind of narrate, which serves two purposes. One, it's a great like last time on this character story when you load them up again, you mm-hmm. might not remember like, wait, what's this guy's deal again? Uh, and he'll be like, you know, abandoned toy, uh, <laughs> you know, weird door, forgotten dream. Uh, but they also kind of serve as items where sometimes you'll have to bring up a certain thought to a character to progress the story. And it's usually pretty straightforward, but there are 
certain moments and certain character stories where you actually kind of have to act like a detective. Like there's literally a character who is employed to be a detective and yeah. like her story feels very much like a, a Tim Schafer game, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. There are other characters that like have trouble. Like there's one character who is like not in great shape physically or mentally and she has to constantly take these pills. Otherwise, like the whole screen blurs. Yeah. So they play with it in a really cool way. So that's Remembrance. And that's like the whole game took me 30 hours. Remembrance is like 80, if not 90% of that time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Destruction is the mech battles. And there are only like 30. So a a lot of reviews have said that's the weakest part of the game. I'm with you. I think they're a lot of fun. If only because they're more than serviceable. It's It's not like you have to put up with it. Like I do think it's engaging enough. And it really is only there to add like a really nice variety to the experience. Mechanically and narratively, so much of the story... You're experiencing these characters like trying to figure out their own lives, never mind each other's. Yet in the battles, it takes place in this time that is not clearly specified to the player where they're all together and they're all in mechs. And you're like, when the fuck does this happen? Right. And they all you know, know like, exactly what's happening. Yeah. 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 So it, it adds to this surrealness and to this dreamlike quality the entire game has, which like I think really aids this uneasy feeling that stuff like Evangelion has. Mm-hmm. I will say... Uh, not to give anything away, but it's much more optimistic than Evangelion. Like it definitely oh, yeah. has yeah, like totally. a little, it has that uneasiness. But if, if you're worried about having it be a downer, it is in moments, but it's definitely like got a little bit more faith in humanity, I think. Yeah, yeah. And a, <laughs> um, and a lot of the characters are dealing with different things specifically, you know, so like a lot of yeah. each of the characters kind of has has their own thematic arc going on. And, and like not to... I guess give away too much about it, but uh, it's on the box and it's what a lot of the reviews and stuff have talked about. But a lot of this game deals with like time travel and like not knowing when or where you are essentially. Um, And that is played with in like every way that you have seen in media before, just it's all happening simultaneously, which I think is really fascinating. So there's like a kind of like um, Groundhog Day source code story. There's also kind of like a, a my dreams come true story. There's like a kind of like magical girl fantasy story that happens in a weird way. Um, there, It's like every kind of sci-fi time travel trope you've seen before just woven together to make this tapestry of a story that like somehow works at the end, which yeah. is again, miraculous. It's worth noting too that the third part of the menu is analysis and yes. that like keeps track of every event that has happened and you can also uh use mystery points to unlock (laughs) like codec you know i love that to unlock codex entries for things that you may have not learned yourself so yeah what ends up happening is that when you play remembrance the the main story uh every time you finish a chapter you're given meta chips which you can use upgrade unlock abilities in battling and when you win battles you unlock mystery points which unlock things in the, the codex so they all reward the other for yeah. you investing time in them. Like I, I kind of dove almost solely into remembrance for a long time. So by the time I went back to destruction, I could like fully upgrade everyone. You know, like I had so <laughs> right. much stuff, which was great. And I think what's brilliant too is that, like you said, d- depending on which characters you invest in, you'll learn something specific about the world and about the story. And you might feel like, oh shit, I know something that these characters don't, or I know something. That's like, you know, and then like in one story very early on, there's a talking cat. Okay. 
So that that's happening. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and then in other stories, you might just see that cat in the background. And yeah. there's like a lot of dramatic irony where it really is brilliant how no matter who you're choosing, like there's going to be a moment like that. Like, there's going to be a moment where you have seen something before another character realizes it and you're going to spot that in the background. Right. Coupled with the idea that like just based on your own observation and what you're learning in the codex you could actually figure things out faster than the story even tells you. Yeah. And and I think like there was a point like I was every story ends with like a last 10 seconds of Breaking Bad episode cliffhanger, which is why it's so hard to put it down. Right. Like, you know, it's it's just like every ending is like, what the fuck just happened? I have to see more. Yeah. It, it's really gripping in that way. Uh, and what's neat is that at a certain point, I was just like, OK, wait a minute. Like so many twists are happening. Like, is this ever going to make sense? Like I'm in, but I'm really worried like they, they're so many things going off and then without saying what it is there to me there was eventually a reveal that actually made everything way simpler and it kind of like it has this almost uh parabola of confusion where like it starts off you're like okay it's a time travel story i know what to expect yeah then you know stuff stuff like the talking cat is like the eighth weirdest thing to happen like there's so much happening i actually met the talking cat and then moved on and played another like 25 hours of the game before i went back to the talking cat again because it was the least interesting thing that had happened (laughs) (laughs) right right um but eventually it gets simpler again and it does come together i think that like for me the game peaks like somewhere and like Kind of like where you are right now, I was most into it. The ending is is lovely, but I, I just feel like that moment is so special where like things are kind of like somehow working and you're finally getting a hang of like what's happening. Yeah. I mean, it's worth noting too, there are 13 characters. You're going to like some more than others, yeah. but the game is also kind of letting you figure that out. It's it's really well done. I, I think I think it's really... If you're someone who who is a big sci-fi fan, you know, likes stuff like Evangelion, I mean, the Stranger Things comparison is more in the sense that this is sort of a microcosm and also an homage to so much. Like, there's there are scenes where they directly quote Star Trek. There's a story that's like very E.T.-esque where like this girl has a pet robot who like she hides in her gym locker. Um, Yeah. Which that was my favorite story starting off because I just liked that character the most. Uh, Yeah, it's it's wonderful. Um, It's hard to really talk about without spoiling. It's really difficult to talk about without spoiling. Yeah, I want to commend you for doing such a good job. (laughs) Um, It's Yeah, I mean, I think because we want so many people to experience this, it's it's really difficult to talk about why it's great without specifically like saying certain things about it, I guess. But uh, one one of the comparisons that kind of popped into my head the other day because i'm reading dune for the first time um which has been a really interesting experience dune dune's an interesting book uh specifically i think because they throw you in the deep end right in the beginning have you read dune i have i have like a really tethered 1970s copy of it that my dad lent me yeah uh because my dad like is not really into genre but he loved dune Mm. he loved dune so much that when star wars came out and he was like a teenager he was like this is crap when the dune movie comes out everyone's gonna flip out and of course it was like the the david lynch sting uh dune which is not that great (laughs) Um, but I wonder how I feel about the new Doom because that looks dope yeah. and hopefully it's good. But I have not read it, no. Interesting. Okay, so a thing worth noting <laughs> about you read Dune, Dune. Let me tell you about my dad. I'm, I'm glad we learned about your dad. I'm, yeah. More dad content. Um, yeah, yeah. 
the thing that I find really interesting about Dune that I didn't really know, I think, before I went in is that that book really throws you into the deep end with the terminology and, and with the world building. I mean, there is not a moment where they try and ease you into what is happening in Dune. It is like you just immediately inhabit the world. All of the vernacular is being used at like 100 percent. They're not easing you into it at all. Um, and there's a point that and I, in talking to people who love this book, there's a point like at maybe a quarter to a halfway in where suddenly your brain understands what's happening. All of the words kind of click together because of the context clues that have been surrounding them that you've been reading for so long. I mean, you're really just flying blind for like most of it, to be completely honest. Um, yeah. and at a certain point, it makes sense. And I just hit that point in Dune recently um, while I was reading it the other day. I just had a point where I was like, oh, my God, that chapter was amazing. And I understood everything that was happening. And it almost made me want to go back and read it from the beginning again and get to that point again, um, which I didn't. I'm still just moving forward, but I'll probably eventually reread the book at some point. But while having that epiphany, it occurred to me how 13 Sentinels is able to tell the story that it's telling. And I think I think the really interesting thing about it is that, like, how do you tell a story between 13 characters that that the player can choose from really at any given time and still have it make sense and still have reveals that are timed well and make sense? Um, And there are some like little nuanced things here and there, like some of them are just like you have to hit this person's story at 80% to unlock the next part of this person's story. You know, they'll, they'll gate you in certain instances like that. Or you have to have played the, you know, 15th battle to be able to continue this person's story. Things like that. Um, but if you remove all of that, I still think the game would work. And I think the reason that happens is because you don't understand the incredible reveals that are happening as they're happening until way later. Until you get to like the 80, 90th percentile of a person's story when they explain something specific to you will it start to unlock all of this knowledge that you'll start to see in the like first to 10th percentile of other people's stories which i think is really brilliant i had this moment where i finished somebody's story and then i went over to another person's story that i hadn't even started yet and there was something shocking right at the beginning of that person's story and i could have played it at any time and what what I realized as I was like in that moment of like pure narrative bliss is that if I hadn't finished that other person's story first, that person's first thing wouldn't have been a shocking reveal. Um, yeah. It was only because I had seen the end of that person's story, which I think kind of pieced it all together like a giant puzzle for me. Like how you go about writing this and making it work is is just that like you just have to trust that the player is eventually going to get it. You have to trust that the player's brain is eventually going to be able to piece all this stuff together and, and not force feed them plot twists and reveals, but allow their own brains to think that these things are plot twists and reveals. Some of them actually are. Don't get me wrong. But I think a lot of it really is just contextual. No, I mean, this is the first game that I've routinely opened up the uh, dialogue log. Like after it's me happened, too. I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. And I go back and I see a name and I'm like, fuck. Yeah. Like one of the biggest, I think I texted you, I'm like, there are moments in this game where I had to put down the controller and like do a lap around the house. Like <laughs> yeah, that me too. scene in Pi where he's like not ready to do the formula. Uh, <laughs> like I, <laughs> that Aronofsky front cam. Yeah. I, uh, one of the biggest things for me, was like a character just said a name like in passing like it wasn't even an end of the episode thing he just said a name and i was like it like blew my mind yes in that moment i think i already i think i know what part you're talking about by the way yeah. but yeah 
Um, yeah, it, like those kinds of moments are just like wildly shocking. And like, I think that that actually is like a plot twist moment. But the thing is, is that that moment is laced into like eight different character storylines. So you're going to have that reveal at some point, no matter who you're playing as. And that's kind of really cool. So like later on, it's like, oh, I already knew this. But if you hadn't played that person's story before, that would be the moment that you had the holy shit. I have to get up and take a lap around the house, which is really, really cool. Um, yeah. There are some moments that they want to have that narrative holy shit impact and they put them in multiple people's stories so you're gonna run into it eventually i mean there's a moment too that it's worth noting too that there's there's story beats that happen in the battle as well yeah not as much but like there is dialogue and stuff one of my favorite moments in the game is which i won't i will not spoil <laughs> but there's a moment in one of the battles that to me is maybe the best part of the game and that moment is going to either mean the world to you if you know why it's happening and it will st- it will, in retrospect, mean just as much when you find out later. Yeah. I think the fact that this game is so open to being interpreted and experienced in any order uh, lends itself to the idea that even more than time travel, all this game is about is like memory. Like it's so much like the characters are constantly trying to recall things and trying to remember and they're thinking about dreams they had and weird things that had happened to them and you're doing that too as a player which is kind of ironic given that so much of it seems to be about you know saving the future in some way yeah that it's constantly like almost tethered to the past in this like dreamlike hazy state and i think that also the fact that it is so out of order and up to how you want to experience it and like you won't even have any agency when you choose it just sort of on a whim right you know like so even your choice is kind of dreamlike in the sense of like there isn't a logical way to do this it's just gonna happen yeah it's it's wonderful i also appreciate that there's so many references to different sci-fi series and there's also a lot of pieces of media that exist within the game and they have narrative purpose if there's like you find a copy of world of the worlds at one point mm-hmm. which like obviously has repercussions one of the main characters is obsessed with b movies which is why i maybe thought like uh the design of that character was like oh is she like you know a cast of some weird b movie he watched in the 80s you right. know and stuff like that like there, there's so much intentionality behind every choice and behind like things you don't think are going to be bigger deals are later and it's just so it's so well done to write this i can't even imagine the process like you would have to have it, it the only way i could see it maybe even working is knowing the central conceit and then and then just kind of going backwards almost yeah but it's just so it's so well done yeah like if you're if you're at all interested in 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 games that are primarily narrative and especially if you like sci-fi like this is a must um if you're like me and you were put off by the game initially like give it a chance it's really special listen to sakurai and yokotaro uh they know what they're talking about yeah it's um i don't i don't even know how much i personally have like the predisposition to have liked this game honestly i don't know like what in my life had set me up to enjoy or not enjoy this um but i i can say definitively that i do think it's like one of the best games of the year and like easily the best visual novel i've played you and i were talking about this before but like there's there's this kind of weird thing that's happening in games right now i think maybe because of where the medium is at age-wise where genres that are like really set in stone are kind of getting like dismantled and and kind of like exploded out into kind of new interesting ideas um we talked about horizon zero dawn and breath of the wild a whole lot those two came out around the same time when you play breath of the wild and go to horizon zero dawn 
it's like okay well horizon zero dawn feels like a you know kind of checkbox open world game kind of like an antiquated idea if you had played horizon zero dawn first you would have said this is this is the pinnacle of what this kind of game can be you know and then you go and play breath of the wild and it's something completely new uh breath of the wild changes your relationship with open world games after you've played it uh you and i talked recently about how hades kind of did the same thing for us with roguelikes where playing other roguelikes after playing hades is like Okay, well, a lot of these don't have any kind of narrative interest in in exploring what it means to die over and over and over again. And, and Hades is wrapping that into its gameplay so well that other roguelikes without that almost feel lacking. Um, not to say that we don't like them, you know, big disclaimer, all of those games are great. Horizon Zero Dawn is great. But point being, once you played Hades, it kind of changes your relationship with that genre as well. And I think this game is doing the same thing for me with visual novels. Um, There's another visual novel that you and I were going to play. I actually don't want to shout it out just because I don't want to like dunk on a thing because I think we might end up talking about it at some point anyway. Um, But there's another visual novel that you and I were going to check out for an episode, I think coming up soon, that I have kind of bounced off of pretty harshly. Because what it's doing compared to what 13 Sentinels has done is like a night and day execution of the genre. And that's not to say that like you can't go back and enjoy things that that have kind of uh, older uh, understandings of what a what a specific genre can be. I mean, there's obviously a lot of merit in going back and playing older stuff and experiencing that and thinking about the context in which it came out. But right now, in the headspace that I'm in, 13 Sentinels is like fucking peak of visual novels, peak video game. Like, I I just I can't wrap my head around how you go about making something like this. And anytime I try, it feels like I'm one of the characters in the game. Um, <laughs> it's like unlinear narrative, tech based combat. <laughs> analysis remembrance weird door monster dreams it's it's a it's a fascinating thing it's it's a really incredible game um my my like main grievance with it is that it's not on switch um i think if it was on if it was on switch i would have played the i would have been done with it already i think which i think does get into one of the other things i want to talk about which is the way i played this game is very bizarre uh in that i played most of it through ps4 remote play while in a cabin in the woods (laughs) (laughs) that feels correct yeah um so remote play is a thing that has existed for a long time i just kind of wanted to touch on it really quick because it's like a, a wild way to experience video games but if you have a playstation 4 or a playstation 4 pro um you can enable a thing that's called remote play which allows you to from a, a couple of devices specifically uh connect over the internet to your ps4 and just play it remotely i mean it's very much like doing a remote desktop situation but you have to have a playstation 4 controller or there are ways to trick your computer into thinking of a playstation 4 controller i'm not going to get into that side of things i used a dualshock i used the ps4 controller and i connected yeah. it to uh my macbook and played this game over remote play remote play is fascinating in that i don't think i would recommend it for any game except 13 sentinels Aegis Rim, <laughs> uh, because honestly the the latency between when you press a button and when it hits your ps4 uh you know five states over and then that gets sent back to your computer there's a lot of lag there and it makes a lot of sense in a visual novel uh and not as much sense when you're doing something like playing, I don't know, a Batman Arkham trilogy game. Uh, <laughs> remote play, Cabin in the Woods, remote play. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like the um, but that said, I also realized recently that you can uh, 
do remote play from your iPhone and your Android Ooh. device, which I think is really fascinating. Uh, and on at least on iPhone, I haven't tested on Android. I imagine the same is true. You don't even need a controller. You don't have to connect a controller. You can use an on-screen version of a DualShock 4. They just like kind of put their controls around, um, which again, sounds terrible, but it's great for this game where you're really just walking around a scene and interacting with objects and like picking dialogue options. You know, for the battles, it might be a different story, but the battles are also kind of turn-based in a way. They're like a almost like real-time turn-based hybrid in a way. It's like Age of Empires if the action froze when you told them what to do, yeah, basically. Yeah, very much. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so, I don't know. Maybe that would work Would work too. Um, I, I, just, I just think that remote play is a really interesting and cool thing that like I don't see used a whole lot. I used it a little bit on my Vita back in the day. That was like the big Vita thing was like, take your PS4 with you on the go, um, which was very silly. I used it to like check my bounties in, in Destiny. That was like pretty much it. Um, <laughs> but for this game in particular, like it allow, it really did allow me to like have... 13 sentinels in bed with me before i went to bed you know before i went to sleep and just like play this game and like knock out a couple percentages in a story or something this like totally would have been on the vita if the vita was still around like this game yeah is i mean so, yeah not yeah. even to mention like VanillaWare's uh propensity to release stuff on the vita but like it just would have been a good vita game in general i think totally i want to say too because i know we we kind of touched on our our like caveat with that one character i do want to say this game is beautiful otherwise like, i was going to mention that too the, yeah the illust because that's vanillaware's whole thing is like their their philosophy is like bring back 2d illustration which like i so respect in all mediums and especially in games like the way yeah. they're able to accomplish the environments and and the characters and like the animations when you're thinking versus when you're walking around and like you get a sense of and this this is good character design you get a sense of their character on how they walk around like there's a character yuki who's like very tough yeah like very like you know mother wolf and she just like struts around with a smile like she's like like her her walking animation is like so i'm like I want to walk like that. That rules. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, I, I think otherwise the presentation and the music is great too. Like the music is awesome. It's so, it's such a pleasant world to be in, even when it's like weird and kind of scary. Like it's so, the presentation is so well done. Yeah. It's all very painterly. Um, yeah. It, it's really, really gorgeous. I find myself just taking a lot of screenshots of this game. Not yeah. even like just, just to look, just like have in a way, like I almost just want to make yeah. them like desktop backgrounds of my computer or something um, um one last thing too on my end yeah. uh voice acting is incredible and like so many three houses voice actors are in this which yeah. like one of the first voices you hear is like immediately caspar from three houses yeah. uh bernadette is a main character i mean they're all big voice actors so not a huge surprise but i wasn't sure whether to do english or japanese i'm sure they're both great but the english voice cast is incredible from from what i've experienced wow that just reminded me that my plan was to play a couple hours in english and a couple hours in japanese and then decide what to do and i just realized i've played like 30 something hours of this game in english so far yeah it's it, it's really well done the, yeah. the characters are really well performed um i i think there was a verge article i'm i'm sorry if i'm wrong here if you're the verge person who wrote this <laughs> but uh I think I think the the headline was um, 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim is like binge watching a really good anime um, and like that very much is the vibe here. I mean, it really is just like binge watching like an extremely fucking good TV show. Um, yeah. But you have agency over what episodes you get to watch and when like imagine if you could watch Evangelion in any episode order you wanted and it still worked and made <laughs> sense. Like that's what this game is doing. I'll say too, like even with the battles, they're pretty easy. Like it's it yeah. scales up at the end. But like if you're playing on normal 
normal like if you're worried like okay this sounds cool but i'm nervous about like the the battling part of it like it's it's kind of a breeze honestly and i imagine on easy it's like even more so so yeah like, there's i think even a casual mode that lets you yeah. like drop it down even more and i th- that mode is like very much if you just want to get this out of the way so you can keep doing the story then that's there for you um i'm doing it on easy as well and finding it to be easy um yeah which is normal wasn't really hard until like the very end but that made sense it's really fun i mean i love 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 the battle system i think do you want to talk a bit about the battle actually now that we're like touching on it yeah sure we could yeah so uh, essentially what they let you do is as you go into every battle, they give you kind of uh, an inkling of what kind of enemies you're going to be fighting. You know, what kind of kaiju are these? Are they like ones that fight mainly on the ground? Are they ones um, that are like uh, floating in the air? Are they kaiju that can, uh, you know, give birth to more kaiju or something, you know, like giant kind of almost like helicarrier things that like spawn more enemies? Um yeah. They're all mechanical, too. They're like robotic. Yeah, kaiju. yeah, they're like robotic kaiju. It's really cool. Um, so they'll like kind of give you a hint as to what kind of enemies you're going to be fighting in that battle. And then of the 13 characters, you get to choose which ones you want to bring into battle with you um, and which ones you want to stay on the defense, which means essentially uh, all of these characters have like different kinds of sentinels and all of them are good at certain things. So some of them are really good at getting really up close and, you know, essentially just punching the shit out of things. Other ones are really good at flying around and having high maneuverability and, you know, for support reasons or for, you know, uh, doing like, let me just kind of uh, pop into this area really far away, shoot off a bunch of missiles and then come back to uh, the main point that you're defending. You're always defending one main point in every battle. So all of these characters have different, uh, have different abilities and different kind of strengths and weaknesses. Um, and you get to pick six that you're actively playing as and then six who kind of hang back around the point that you're defending and have like latent abilities that will just kind of like automatically trigger whenever they want, um, which is really helpful if stuff like really hits the fan. Like if it really gets desperate, like those six will start to activate all of their attacks a lot, which is very helpful. But what this means essentially is that you're you're spending like Battles technically, like if you were to play them out in real time, are like two minutes. I think they're two minutes each, maybe a minute. Yeah. Um, it's it's like actually like 120 seconds of real time, but it's constantly freezing the action as it's allowing you to choose to do things. So you have two minutes to wipe out all of these all of these kaiju with whoever you've decided to take into battle. So that's cool by itself. What's really wild is that uh, the longer these characters spend in their sentinels the worse it is for their brain and psyche and bodies. Uh, And they have what's called a brain overload if you continue to use them in too many battles, which means you constantly have to be switching them out between attack and defense. So you can't just say, like, these are these are my six guys. I love these six people. I'm going to use them all the time. I'm going to level them up all the way. Like, you really do have to be very specific about choosing which ones are in battle and which ones are in defense at any given time. Um, It's really cool. Uh, Honestly, like, that's all fun and cool mechanically. The game just looks fucking sick. Like, it just looks cool so cool the battle music is rad all of the attack animations are sick i mean it really is like and the battle dialogue is great like there's one guy who's like a tough guy with a pompadour who's like they're just like any other punks you know like (laughs) i just whenever he says that i'm like hell yeah yeah um it's worth noting too like the the time the eras that exist in this game are like 19 it's they can travel through an interval of 40 years so there are characters from the 40s 80s around our time in the future basically yeah but it primarily takes place in the 80s uh and and the sentinels are referred to as like first second third and fourth generation which like 
it's just really exciting. At least I love that idea of like them all coming together mm-hmm. and like it's so well done. Like I, I really enjoy that like yes, the battles are there is like this gameplay variety, but they also aid the narrative so much. And like seeing these characters interact and like one character loves uh Yakisoba Pon. He's like this tough guy who's obsessed yeah. with this like random uh I guess like snack appetizer. Yeah, it's like a street food, uh, yeah. Yeah, street food. And he like brings it up in like the heat of battle. Like, to the it's point just... where sometimes I don't know if you if you overheard this dialogue, but there are some kids in the hallway in the in the high school sometimes who complain about the fact that they can never get any because some <laughs> yeah. guy keeps showing up and buying all of it. Uh Yeah. I it's mean so honestly good. like the thirteen characters uh. like everyone's story is good i think i think the the only characters that kind of weren't my favorite are the two they're propping up as the main ones only because like i think they're doing that like the game is like these characters are important yeah and they like fail to deliver as much as much as the ones that i sought out you know right yeah same here but like there wasn't there wasn't a dull moment truly and and I think yeah it, it it it's also a good length like the fact that the whole thing is thirty hours like you're probably gonna finish it in a week because it's so hard to put down yeah it's great yeah I mean yeah I'm like eating sleeping and breathing this game as much as I possibly can <laughs> like I've I've just had a lot of stuff going on so I haven't been able to finish it um but and that's I, a testament you you got seventy percent of the way even with everything going on yeah so like <laughs> you probably would have beaten it twice at this point yeah it's um it's it's an incredible thing um and i really like i i personally really try to not play this card too often on this show because like i know that i don't know I, I i know that sometimes we actually like influence purchasing decisions that people make this is a game that i will play the card for that like if you can and this sounds interesting to you this is a really great game to play right now um, yeah. and you'll be really happy like come the end of the year when you know a lot of these discussions are happening it's like how did you miss 13 sentinels and you can be like i didn't and i fucking get it and also it's like i imagine oscar snub yeah it really is it for real this is like um oh shit what was that uh guillermo del toro movie shape of water this is like shape of water winning best picture kind of shit you know like that's what this feels like to me um yeah it's it's a really it's an amazing thing and I, I can't wait to talk more about it. I think I think you and I are going to have to do some kind of like spoiler oh, yeah. thing. I don't know in what form that'll be if that's a bonus episode if that's just another thing. That- <laughs> Maybe we release it out of order <laughs> <laughs> on the deep web somewhere. Yeah, um, we're going to start a new podcast called Yakisoba Pond. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hours of us yeah. talking about this game oh my god i could do it again i do think it's still niche but i think if it's at all intriguing to you you're probably going to like it like if you've already heard us talk about it and looked it up and like you're interested you'll probably love it and if you get it and you don't like it i st- you know and obviously i'm not telling you how to spend your money but i do think it's worth supporting stuff like this like a game like this doing well paves such a good road for games as a medium like yeah. this proves that like okay you can make a game that is uh tim schafer visual novel meets like mech combat and somehow there's an audience for it you know mm-hmm. uh it's it's great yeah it's exactly the kind of thing that you and i always want you know it's like yeah. it, it is such a testament to like the wildest idea getting produced with like the biggest budget possible, <laughs> you know, like yeah, it's yeah. so cool not to say that like if you do this on a small budget, that's not equally incredible. Um, but I just really appreciate when like a publisher like Atlas or a developer like Vanillaware is like, yes, I will back this idea with a shitload of money and like let it come to fruition in the exact way the creator wants. 
I think it I, I think is really special. Um, and it, and it really really pays off in the in the it actual does. experience that you get to have uh, while playing this. It's going to be hard, I think, for any game story to to hit these notes. It's almost unfair to compare at a certain point. Yeah. But yeah, this is a this is a, a wonderful experience. Highly recommend. Yeah. Yeah. PlayStation Four Remote Play. <laughs> <laughs> or just like a feverish at the screen three day playthrough on your <laughs> PS4. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, going from playing this on my my MacBook screen to uh, now playing this like on my actual TV with like a real sound system and stuff uh, is like a wild experience because honestly, like playing this over the Internet, like kind of like blurry being streamed to me, like almost felt more correct because of how yeah. much of this game is about like half remembering things. You should receive this game as a voicemail. I think like this is like <laughs> the best yeah. way to experience this narrative in a weird like way. An 80s I, cell phone. I actually, I actually do want to touch on that really quick. Bizarrely enough. Um, <laughs> there's a, there's a part of me whenever I play visual novels that I ask myself, like, could have, could this have just been a book? Like, would this have just been better as a book? And this is a game yeah. that very much lives and dies by the fact that it is interactive and is a video game. That's uh, the thing, you know, and that's, that's what I think you mean by like this being the, you know, breath of the wild, the visual novels and that like, it, and I think it's because it has that point and click DNA because it has the agency over what order you're going in Yeah, and it has the battles. If it didn't have the battles, I think I would have been a little burnt out by it, honestly. Yeah. Like, I think the battles are really nice. Like, it's the secret spice of the game. Mm-hmm. I, not to mention, I'm the maniac, too, that spent a lot of time in analysis mode, looking at, like, the, the... When you unlock events, it shows, like, the order in which they're happening. Not chronologically, but, like, the order of, like, what happened in this story. <laughs> And that was like baffling to find out like halfway through. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. My, my plan, it's funny because I just talked about doing this with Hades, which I did and it was great. But my plan later uh, is before I go to bed to just like literally open this game. I have my PS4 in the other room. I'm going to open this game up on my iPad on remote play <laughs> and just go through analysis mode and read up on all the stuff I unlocked in my gameplay session. <laughs> read uh, in like literal in-depth articles on Yucky Soup. <laughs> 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 I guess life comes at you fast. Yeah. Oh man. <clears throat> Thirteen Sentinels Aegis Rim by Vanillaware uh and Atlas. It's on the PlayStation 4 only. Only. We'll do, uh, we'll do a spoiler cast, obviously, but who is your favorite character so far? This is a fun end note. Oh, um yeah. I think maybe Miura. Yeah, I think so too. I think he's part of an ensemble that I love. So like every character he's connected to, I think is wonderful. Yeah, it is interesting. There are like, I would say there's like of the 13 characters, they're kind of split into groups of like four or five. Yeah, there's like, yeah, there there are like three ensembles, which is a less catchy name. Yeah. <laughs> three ensembles, Jellicle Rim. Uh, <laughs> oh no. But, uh, <laughs> Don't make me turn that into the episode art. <laughs> I just I told you I got HBO Max recently and they're like really pushing cats. They really on me. are. They have my data. Yeah. yeah I Mi- love their Mira. they have they're like they have the big Taylor Swift image too, as if like that's the yeah. reason you're gonna watch cats. <laughs> it's like, oh I didn't know Taylor Swift was in this. Now I'll watch cats twenty nineteen. <laughs> um I really love Natsuno and Yuki as well. Yeah. I think so like yeah, those are the three I, I would recommend. And Natsuno's one of the first characters you get. I would say she's also a good one to start with. I liked the pacing of her story a lot. Yeah. I agree. As as you said, she has kind of like an ET vibe, which is really fun. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's the she's thing. Like, Again, like this game is just like an amalgam of a bunch of stories you've seen before. But for some reason, they all feel fresh, especially because they all interweave with one another. It's really yes. like like 
what if E.T. and Jake Gyllenhaal's source code uh, and also <laughs> Neon Genesis Terminator. Evangelion and Terminator and like and Star Wars and War of the Worlds. All, Star Trek and Star Trek all and Godzilla were connected <laughs> and James Cameron's avatar were all connected. And like somehow all of those were part of a shared cinematic universe that made sense. That's what this game is doing. We have to stop talking about it. It's really good. Yeah. Just play it. I, I, I will say yeah. too, like it does feel like it's using those familiarities almost to ground you. Yes. Rather than as like a cheeky reference, you know, like it's there to give you some ground to walk on. As the characters are trying to cope with what's happening to them, they're using those things as points of reference to try and understand um, the yeah, same way you are. Yeah. It's really special. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, Bernadette is also nuts now, so you got a good <laughs> time there. Uh, we have to make yeah, a new one. Discord emote that's uh, Natsuno looking <laughs> at the sun the way Bernadette does. Yeah, uh, incredible. I think uh, Erica Mendez is her name. Incredible voice actor. Yeah. Um, uh, you anyway, want to move yeah, on? Let's, let's move on. Okay. Uh, 13 Sentinels, Aegis Rim for the PlayStation 4. Uh, f- fucking good, man. Yeah. Expect A-plus. us to talk about it again. From start to finish, I had a great time with this game. <laughs> Graphics. <sighs> four out of Graphics, five. Four out of five. Except for that weird nurse. Anyway, goodbye. <laughs> The spookiest thing all season is that you and I just spent like another 15 to 20 minutes in, in the break talking about 13 Sentinels even more. <laughs> <laughs> that might have, that may be the first time that's happened. I guess it's because we wanted to avoid spoilers. So we were like, wasn't it cool when, yeah. to, you know, uh, but yeah, just your butt your didn't happen. Just to cement it, uh, if you, in case you couldn't tell, we like that game a lot. But you know what other game I really like, and it's even scarier. What is, is it? scarier? Is Resident Evil Seven Biohazard? Wow. Ooh. Uh, this is a game you actually brought to the table last spooky season. Mm-hmm. You played it in VR, which I can't even fucking imagine <laughs> having played it uh, recently. I actually streamed it last Friday. It's on YouTube and Twitch.tv if you want to watch it now. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. But you we, set well, it up we should to mention me. actually just real quick you've been streaming uh spooky season games every friday on our twitch um, yeah and all that it, stuff is available also on the youtube but i think you're gonna keep doing that until the end of the month which is cool yeah yeah so the first i don't think it was on a friday but the first one was binding of isaac but then we started the friday uh routine with alien isolation which was so much fun mm-hmm. uh and then we did resident evil last friday and this coming friday i guess either two one or two days after this episode comes out i want to do bloodborne which we have already talked about it won't be it won't be a lead up to an episode but i want to play it again totally uh it'll be a lot of fun because it's like it's not I don't I'm not scared by it at this point, but it is so Halloween and it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a great game to revisit, too. And honestly, the day before we talked to Tam about Batman, it maybe makes sense. Just yeah, it feels to play Bloodborne. It, <laughs> it feels on, on brand, <laughs> on brand for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I played Resident Evil 7 Biohazard. I played like maybe 
two and a half to three hours of it. Um, you played the very beginning in VR and you kind of said like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you kind of set it up to me where you're like, the beginning's really affected, but then it gets kind of silly and like maybe yeah. not to the game's like benefit. Like what, what did you think with just kind of revisit your VR experience? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, you could go back. I, I forget. I think that episode was called, uh, welcome to virus.com or virus.com or something <laughs> like that. Um, wow. Okay. You're one-upping me and remembering our episodes. Yeah. I just, I remember well very viscerally making the art for virus. that Virus.com spooky season 2019 yeah. three houses. <laughs> <laughs> just because it had a different name anyway uh point being i i remember playing that game thinking this is extremely effective this is fucking horrifying i was playing it in vr with all of my friends so i was in upstate new york with pablo who was recently on uh our super mario 3d all-stars episode hi uh, pablo with him and everybody else who lives in his house uh and a couple other people we were having like a halloween shindig at his house um and for some reason the night turned into like let's put a virtual reality headset on brendan and make him play a scary game in front of us um which like got the short straw yeah, yeah. i'm i was very into it it sounded like a really fun idea because i like horror games i don't know how much i've talked about that I, I i've enjoyed the ones that i played um i don't seek them out generally but like if they're recommended to me i'll check them out and this was a game that both aj had recommended a lot and pablo had recommended a lot so i thought you know i should probably check it out and what better place than in front of like 10 to 15 people so playing this game the first like hour i would say is like wildly effective it feels so much like uh, a whole group of people at capcom were like well if konami is not going to make pt then we're going to do it um <laughs> yeah. and they do a great job at making pt um it's really really good um and there's a point not too far into the game where like not the main antagonist but just like antagonists in general are introduced um the first time you get to see like what are essentially the zombies of this game really yeah i mean we could say it. it's the baker family right? yeah 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 when they get introduced the game stops being scary and starts becoming like kind of b-movie silly in the way that resident evil games this is, I think, an important point because you and I, when talking about it last time, we talked about how like this is a, this is a common thing in Resident Evil games for them to get like B movie silly um, or like B movie horror silly. Usually that happens in Resident Evil games in like the last act. Like usually you get like way more of the like fear or like survival survivalist dread um, for the first like act at least or half of the game before it becomes like now I have a rocket launcher and this is just wild you know yeah yeah um and and this game like kind of puts you in that space very quickly and i don't think it's just via like the character design or the way they interact with the world and things like that i really think it's just like when you get caught for the first time it removes the tension it's 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 as if you saw jaws right in the beginning of jaws and they killed somebody and then and then that person came back to life later and was like it actually wasn't that bad to get bit by jaws now that i think about it um, that's what it feels like to die early on in Resident Evil 7 and then you spawn again and it's like okay now it's just a puzzle solving thing it's not about fear anymore it's not about not getting caught it's just about figuring out how I'm supposed to get around this um, which I, I think like is a radical shift for this game in a way or it's a radical shift for this franchise in a way 
and uh yeah that's that's kind of where i i left off with it um i didn't really go back to it i enjoyed the time i had with it i think it's like one of my favorite gaming experiences i've ever had is like sitting on that floor with the vr headset on playing that game in front of all those people like it was really really fun I'm very fond of it but um i i wasn't like compelled to continue playing past that point yeah um i can see that i mean i <clears throat> weirdly i agree and disagree um i think i had somewhat of a similar experience when streaming it where like mm. And I'll say too, for me, like I also haven't really sought out a lot of horror games. Even our past spooky seasons have been like games that are more kind of like Bloodborne or like Darkest Dungeon, stuff like that, where it's like maybe disturbing or maybe Halloween imagery, but it's not like a horror game. Yeah. Alien Isolation has been what going on Nitro, the roller coaster was to me uh, as a 13 year old. Uh, I should go back and explain what this is. Uh, When I was a kid, I was (laughs) terrified of roller coasters. Um, Mm. And then one day I just decided, fuck it, I'm going to go on one and see what it's all about. And I went on at the time, the scariest one. It was Nitro Six Flags Great Adventure, the New Jersey one. And Nitro at the time was known for being like the biggest drop. You know, it had signs like you're now taller than or higher than the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, Eiffel Tower. And you do this giant drop. And I had so much fun. It was riveting. I I didn't realize it was going to be that joyous. Mm. Um, And then I loved roller coasters. Then I went on every ride in the park. (laughs) Uh, My Nitro, my, my roller coaster that has removed the fear and given me the thrill is Alien Isolation. That game has been my gateway into really enjoying horror games and i would say a lot of that is because i can stream it a lot of that is because i can have what a version of what you had where you were in a room with people i think there's something that is to be gained i think horror movies are are really best experienced with a group of people yeah you know like seeing get out in theaters was incredible versus maybe seeing it at home on netflix yeah i i've i don't know if i've talked about this on the show but my favorite movie going experience of all time was seeing the first paranormal activity uh, yeah in, right. in theaters i i don't know i mean maybe like some people who are listening to this show aren't old enough for this it is actually possible or maybe it's like old hat or whatever but the ads for that movie paranormal <laughs> the activity talkies. yeah <laughs> <laughs> paranormal activity one the ads for that movie were not uh, they weren't trailers or clips of the movie. It was just a, a a night vision camera that they had set up at the front of the theater showing the audience and you just watch the audience react to the movie. Those were the ads for Paranormal Activity. Brilliant marketing, first of all. But that is what it was like to go see that movie. Um, and and yeah, that was that was a very big moment for me. So I know where you're coming from. Yeah. One of my favorite movie going experiences was, was Orphan. Because Orphan is a movie that is like actually scary for the first half and then just gets so bad that it's like <laughs> Three Stooges comedy. And the theater was like, it was like watching Cats yeah. halfway through. That's great. Um, that sounds awesome. Yeah. But anyway, I, I've come to really love horror games at this point and I, I've, I've had this like renewed uh sense to check them out which has been really exciting and and it's interesting to start with alien isolation because alien isolation does the opposite of what you just said resident evil 7 does alien isolation i streamed that game for three hours mm-hmm. and we saw the alien once and even then they aren't the threat yet like yeah. the logic of the game hasn't introduced them yet so like the first hour of that game is just you and the ship but there's really nothing else mm-hmm. and then when they introduce threats it's to kind of teach you the mechanics so that way when you do finally see the alien you are prepared in some way yeah um it's a really delicate balance these horror games have where like they need to rob you of agency and of control to make it scary but they also can't do that too much for then it would be frustrating right um yeah. which is 
what I think a lot of people feel in horror games and even feel in Alien Isolation sometimes. Resident Evil 7, like you said, first hour, incredible. If, if 13 Sentinels is like every sci-fi media fused together, they are borrowing from like every horror movie <laughs> ever yeah. in the first, especially like Evil Dead, huge. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, huge. Um, Blair Witch Project. And, and you know, yeah. you're going in this house and it's like really creepy and you're seeing all these old photos and like keep in mind too this is the follow-up to resident evil 6 this almost feels like tony hawk pro skater 5 leading into tony hawk pro skater 1 plus 2 yeah man where like you have the game <laughs> that almost killed the franchise and then you had the revival of it yeah. which is like baffling to see the 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 difference resident evil 6 was like game that was like a script michael bay threw out and they made a game around. Yeah. Uh, and then this game is like really going back to the horror roots, which like even the early games never really did. There was always an element of camp because of like how silly the voice acting was. And like, mm -hmm. you know, um, I, actually, I actually recently picked up the Resident Evil 1 remake, which I would highly recommend. Uh, it came out on the GameCube originally. It's like 20 bucks on PS4. That game is scary almost solely because of the environment that mansion is so weird and in the remake they really play around with angles that are almost like you know german impressionistic with like these kind of diagonal shots and like you're always kind of disoriented and i think the setting is equally powerful in in resident evil 7 if there's one thing to point to it's the baker house because it's so like the detail of the photographs and of like just the the build of this disturbing rotting house is is so so well done and you really do get a sense that people used to live there too yeah and there's almost an element of tragedy there where you're seeing like pictures of the baker family they used to be real you know regular people and from what i know the story like kind of goes into that a little bit later on which i won't spoil i think that while you're just exploring the house and you rescue your wife mia and then she turns and it's really horrifying but then she pulls out a chainsaw and then it became like nervous laughter and i actually really love that because i'm like okay now i'm like in video game mode and i'm like i'm scared mm. but now i'm excited and now there's a boss and like it's weird and 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 you know it, it's not like it, it escalated appropriately and yeah. again i'm a big evil dead fan so it was like straight out of that i was almost surprised because she cuts your hand off i'm like am i gonna put the chainsaw on my hand now like <laughs> seems like the obvious choice yeah everything leading up to fighting mia and then as you're exploring the room the father jack baker pulls you around and goes welcome to the family son and punches you in the face knocks you out mm. that could have been the whole game like i think that <laughs> segment is so well done and that moment the welcome to the family son is like such a good either end or beginning i agree because the next scene is the is the texas chainsaw massacre dinner scene where they're making you like eat beetles and like it's very silly and then it cuts right to your you're kind of looking for a way out and and the dad is is chasing you around and when I was streaming it, I get lost very easily in games. And while I'm streaming, my attention is everywhere. So it's like a little bit harder to follow. Yeah. And he shows up like right away and it takes like 12 hits for you to die. You mentioned this. Like, it takes a really long time. And that became more annoying to me because they're not giving like... He should have shown up an hour later, you know, like him showing up so soon and, and me just trying to get the basics down. And then there's a scene where he cuts your leg off and he's like, you can use this to fix your leg. You can do it. And he puts the, uh, that was actually very accurate. He puts the, 
medicine in front of him and you're supposed to crawl over and and reattach your leg but like unless you know that there is no part of you as a player that would think to do that because one reattaching your leg is such a it, i thought he was joe i thought he was like mocking me as yeah I bled it sounds out. like a goof yeah it's, it sounds like he's asking you to crawl somewhere so he can then impale you yeah and, and exactly it's like this whole game has been me avoiding him why would i crawl to him while i'm bleeding out right like, why would i ever think that so that whole that took me a while to like get past and that whole section like is kind of bad honestly like dare i say like it's not it's not like it, it's 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 tense because he's following you around but like again i wish the game did what alien isolation does where they're letting you get familiar with like how do I even operate in the environment first before I'm being chased by this thing? But right after that, it, it picks up immediately. And I think it's because now you have your bearings straight. The next time you see that character, he is in a garage and tears off the top of a car and is just With chasing around hands, the garage. Yeah, and then gets into the car, turns it on and is drifting, yeah. doing donuts in the garage trying to kill you and that that was amazing that was thrilling in the same way me with the chainsaw was it was like straight yeah. out of evil dead and like it was a really good balance between like this is silly but it's also scary because i know what this can do to me in this video game and when it got scary again was with the mom the mom is terrifying like the dad is goofy he's midlife crisis car donating you in a garage yeah and the son is also disturbing, but is like kind of like almost uh, like deliverance esque in his dialogue. Where like there's there's something uh, like he's more sadistic, but he's also like more sentient. So he doesn't feel like the dad and the mom do. But the mom is like straight out of PT and is ter- like there. What this game does really well is whenever you find VHSs of recording events, you still have to play through them, right. even if it ends in that character dying. Like you have to play through it. And playing through as Mia avoiding the capture of the mom with no items, no weapons was horrific and really well done. So, I mean, this game is incredible. I would highly recommend it. You know, I think that it is the revival Resident Evil needed. And and I, I was someone who loved the remake of Resident Evil 2. And you can see what they took from this and added to that. I do think that in retrospect, it might have a little bit of an identity crisis in moments but overall, it's so effective. And I think rather than the shift from horror to action that you get in Resident Evil 4, it's more of a shift from like horror to mystery, where mm. at a certain point, you're just like more curious than you are scared potentially. Yeah. But that's, I mean, this game is scary. Like I, I, there was a point where like I was, I died to the mom the third time in a row and I was like, that, I can't do this anymore. This is too much. <laughs> there are even people in the stream being like, this is too scary for me to even watch. Like have a good time. It, it was very interesting to watch people dropping off the stream and being like this is actually too much for me i need to bail yeah which i think which i think says a lot yeah i i want to give this game another shot very much um because i mean even hi aj aj our producer talks about this game a lot he loaned you his copy the the one that you're playing currently this is a game that that means a lot to him and uh maybe we should just give aj like a minute do you want to give AJ yeah. 60 seconds to just say whatever he wants about Resident Evil 7? Let's give him 70 seconds because it's Resident <laughs> Evil 7. Uh, AJ, here are 70 seconds to uh, gush about Biohazard. Here you go. Okay, uh, Resident Evil 7 is a very, very good video game. I do think you guys are right. I don't remember if you have already said it or you're about to say it uh, because I'm at doing this at the end of the episode, but the the arc it takes in the beginning from being extremely scary to then being very goofy and just like extremely fun to uh, play, especially that first battle uh, with Jack in the car is just such a great time. But I think that 
that arc happens several times throughout the entire game where it goes from being like absolutely terrifying to just like completely ridiculous to back to being absolutely terrifying um and that is so much fun it's 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 got so many just like hey what the hell is happening moments uh similar to it seems like the plot twists and stuff in 13 sentinels uh it's just like stuff just keeps happening that's just like ups the ante and ups the ante and ups the ante and it's just like hey when are we gonna stop with this game um but it, it you know it doesn't and then uh there is very late game stuff that I think Brennan says later that happens that I just really, really enjoy. Uh, it's a great time. I think you should play it. Uh, I still have another like five seconds. So I don't know. Thanks for letting me be on the show. All right. Bye, everybody. I'm going back to the computer box. See ya. Anyway, thank you, AJ, for, for that little bit. Really convincing. I think I'm going to go back and play this game. I think it's I think it's incredible. I mean, I think that like when you get past that first encounter with the dad, you know, it gets much more scary. And then then it becomes kind of the Resident Evil I love where there are weird doors with emblems on them. And I need, you know, like that's the shit I really like. Yeah, that's the thing that I kind of want more of. Because so we're you have like a much more storied history with this franchise than I do. I started with Resident Evil 4. That was the first one that I played. I played it on the Wii. I played the Wii port of Resident Evil 4, which I think honestly is still the best version of that game that exists. Using like a light gun essentially to play Resident Evil 4 is like so fucking rad. It's so fun. Yeah. Um that going back and playing other versions of it is like kind of a bummer. I got the I got the Resident Evil 4 port for um for Switch and like compared to the Wii version, it's like kind of a bummer I didn't make it through. But I played Resident Evil 4 like to completion many, many times. I did New Game Plus like 20 or 30 times in a row. Like loved that game. And then went on to play 5, which is, you know, obviously not great. And then went on to play 6, which is like actively bad from beginning to end. Yeah. Um, so like that's my history with the franchise is like playing the last good one and then the two ones that I think people <laughs> think are actively destroying the franchise. So um, I starting seven and, and being that put off by it is like kind of a bummer, especially after playing games that I love, like Soma, for example, or, or the Amnesia games. Like I, I would love to to give this game another shot and like see what is over that crest that I couldn't make it past because the way AJ talks about this game, I don't know what he just said in his 70 seconds, but it might have had something to do with this. But but the way that AJ talks about this game is that there's stuff that happens in the back half of this game that makes it worth playing. Um, and and I can forgive a game that like starts off as strong as it does and then has like a rocky kind of like second act and then like really cleans it up. So I, I, I would like to dip back in, especially given like the, the high praise and accolades that this franchise has gotten since seven has come out, especially with the two remake, which you played and loved the three yeah. remake, which I've heard is like not as good as the two remake, but it's still worth playing if you're a fan of these games. And, and also the upcoming Resident Evil eight village, which is on the way. That looks great and looks really cool. Yeah. I mean, it, it just like vibe wise is way more my shit than seven is. Um, um, but but still want to check it out. Yeah, I don't know. I, mean, I think seven is exactly what the series should have done. And I don't think anyone could have seen it coming. It's like, <laughs> right. you know, this is this is the most like, you know, I think the the I for for context, I played growing up one and two, two primarily two was my favorite. And I think one and two are also so empowered by the setting. You know, one, you've got the creepy mansion Two, you've got this giant police station that used to be a museum. So you still have this like, you know, like old kind of haunted vibe to it. And that's actually what I'm looking forward to with Village is like that type of 
of setting. And I love four as well. I mean, four if, of the series, four is the most fun to play mechanically. But I think horror wise, seven might be up there. I think it's between the remake of the first game and seven for like actual survival horror. Mm. And I think it might go to seven. The only things that kind of diffuse the horror are moments of like confusion like that with the dad. We're like, I think they probably made him have to hit you so many times to kill you to give you a chance. Like it would have been even more frustrating if it was a one hit kill. But then just don't have him in that room, you know, like have him come up later. Have him show up when I'm crawling through the vents. Yeah. Um, Because honestly, one of the things that I will say about Alien Isolation, which I don't think you've hit that point yet, but... When you do finally see the alien and the alien is your like actual nemesis, the actual thing that you're trying to escape from, like the dad in this situation, after you've died once, that tension is kind of gone a little bit. And then it, and then you go more into puzzle solving mode. So that's another game where I've heard like there's there's an act of that game that is like kind of less than what what's happening in the in the beginning and the end there. Like the beginning is incredible as you've played and as I've played as well. But I've made it like just over halfway in that game where you're like fighting the Xenomorph for real. And like the game is a little bit less interesting there. I'm really just playing it for narrative reasons. And even the narrative reasons aren't that thrilling because I don't know what the stakes are. and I don't know what I'm doing anymore. Um, yeah. Which which is kind of a thing that I'm bumping up against, which is why I constantly talk about Soma, by the way. Soma is a game that has this same problem. It has this exact same problem where like early on, you know what the stakes are in terms of like how to survive uh, within the world. You know how dangerous things are. You know that if you get caught, there's going to be like a weird cut scene. Something's going to grab you and then you're going to die and you're going to load to your previous save. The thing about Soma that I think uh, it gets right is almost weirdly like Hades with roguelikes where like the narrative is so thrilling and so compelling and so interesting that like you will put up with how much of a bummer it is that the enemies kind of lose all their fangs um, because you're just so interested in what narrative twist is going to come around the next corner. And I'm hoping that that's what Resident Evil 7 has in store, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's already more at stake because you're trying to save your wife and you're also trying to learn about the Baker family. And like kind of foreshadowed by your wife turning, Mia turning, is this idea that like they're probably normal people underneath all that. You know, that's kind of makes it almost a little sad is like, yeah. you know, this is is something else is happening here and what is who is the puppet master here something's happening here and what it is ain't exactly clear uh speaking of that though they <laughs> give the protagonist too many bad lines like i wish th- i wish ethan said nothing are you saying my like my line was bad <laughs> no it was great but in the con if ethan says stuff like that in the game we're like yeah something will happen and he'll be like that was weird i'm like you just got your arm chewed off why would you like i don't need realism but i need consistency you know and i think like i think that ethan is kind of halfway between like silent protagonist and like a character yeah they should have decided but all that to say like all these nitpicks are because like the game nails certain things and and it like i think is really really a landmark in the horror genre from what i've experienced like I think that even just the beginning of this game is worth experiencing and like I've seen bits and pieces of what happens later and like it it really does have fun with the set pieces I mean like the dad driving the car it wasn't scary at all but it was like exciting oh yeah it was like a really cool boss fight yeah Yeah. and it's just so funny and creative and like there's a lot of stuff like that I I know for a fact that the mom at one point walks around like a spider which is actually terrifying yeah so like you know it's it's a really I think I think this game really zeroed in on setting above all else the Baker house 
and the Baker family, it, it really feels like a recalibration of the Resident Evil series. Mm. Um, and I'm really excited. I think Village is going to be, I wouldn't be surprised if you and I love that because it sounds like we're liking Biohazard almost as a proof of concept and Village will probably lean more into what we're liking about this game. Yeah. So very, very excited to see how that plays out. Yeah. The interesting thing about Village is that it also seems to be like wrapping itself up in the actual narrative of the entire franchise as well yeah um with is it chris redfield chris redfield is in that game like maybe as the villain um and he was like i don't know the protagonist of many of the games that have come before he's it. the protagonist of the first oh, he's pretend i mean jill is the real protagonist of one but you could choose chris if you're you know yeah. wrong <laughs> um if you don't want a gun you can choose chris yeah uh, i think he's also the protagonist of five he was he five is. right yeah he was five yeah uh, one was Jill and Chris, two was Leon and Claire, three was Jill again and Nemesis, mm-hmm. uh, four was Leon, five was Chris, or whatever, this is an interesting. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited for Village. <laughs> uh, I think six, they, well, just to get back to that, I think six, they tried to put everyone in there. It was like Chris, yeah, and Leon, Jill, Claire, and Ada Wong from... And they were all like different genres of game, but the only, the only one people liked was Leon because he played like four and the five. only one anyone liked was bookworm uh <laughs> <laughs> i'm more of a hunk man you know my favorite the unicorn from peggle from was my favorite character of resident <laughs> evil 6 i do like it so in four there was a mode called mercenaries you could play as leon ada yeah man uh krauser krauger mm-hmm. the guy with the bow and arrow yeah uh, or hunk who was a mercenary who would snap a zombie's neck. Yeah. And I'm like, what bravery to grab a zombie's <laughs> head and just twist it. That's what you go for. Yeah. Firing Man, at the hip. I go think for that the was head. how you got the hand cannon in that game was by maxing out and like perfect, uh, getting perfect scores in all of the mercenaries battles. Yeah. Uh, what a great game. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, Resident Evil 7 would recommend checking out if you're a fan of horror and if you're a fan of the series, it has just enough DNA from the rest of the series that it still feels like a Resident Evil game, even though it's like completely different. Uh, it, it really is as far removed as they could have gotten. Yeah. And and they needed to at that point. So we'll see how Village is. I'm yeah. excited. Yeah, I'm excited too. Um, also, I just want to mention, this happens to me so often, Stephen, but as you were talking about it, I uh, purchased Resident Evil 2 the remake um it's <gasps> really on sale right now so i picked it up let me know because that was a game i played that like maybe a week before our goatee episode last year and it made my list because i loved it so much yeah but i could easily put more time into it if you want to do that for maybe next spooky season segment i would love that yeah maybe uh, i would love to do that that'd be really fun yeah 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 it's a great time i chose claire so maybe you could choose leon and see what's up okay. unless you want to play as claire no i'll play as leon that's fine yeah what a cool coat Got yeah. good hair? Not in this game. Oh, okay. Well, he's still got good hair, I imagine. <laughs> does he have he those does really look- great sharp bangs? He does, yeah. yeah. He still has the like young Matt Damon haircut. All right, yeah, sure. we'll be fine then. Goodwill hunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's hey. weird when Jack Baker takes a note and slams out of the window and says, Do you like apples? <laughs> <laughs> All right, play us out, AJ. <laughs> What incredible 
spooky season music that is i do want to add to resident evil 7 the like voice acting and like facial animation is incredible yeah so good imagine it in vr steven ah <laughs> no thank you <laughs> you're a son of a bitch i made that for you he's not eating it jack oh damn it i bet it's that cop again goddamn pigs well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Into the Aether, a low-key, a low-key video game podcast. You can use this to fix your leg. <laughs> That's like stuck in my head forever. <laughs> fix your leg. How? Why? If you really like the show, you can <laughs> review it off. on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> wow, that's it, I guess. Uh, okay. Yeah, wait, do you have more stuff you want to talk about? Not really. That was it. But how's, I, Hey, uh, how's Minecraft Steve? You played him in Super Smash Brothers. <laughs> you do want to do an emergency Steve update? <laughs> Steve! He, he is announced like that. I played as Minecraft Steve for like maybe 45 seconds. Um, cool. What's your hot just, take 45 seconds in? Just to, I, I, just to like, I just did a like match against the computer just to see like what he was doing. Um, he's really interesting. He's completely different from any other character. So like, there's no point of comparison. Um, when you start on the map, he has a Minecraft box somewhere waiting for him to craft at any point you hold B and he like gathers resources and you can use those at the box with B to like upgrade your stuff to be stronger. So that's interesting. Um, that kind of has like a little bit of like a hero selecting his move. So the crafting table is just randomly placed somewhere on the map. Yeah. Just on the map somewhere. Yeah. That's awesome. So in my case, it was on Venom's R wing. Just like, it was just like a (laughs) visual I wasn't ready for. (laughs) Um, fighting Wii Fit Trainer. And then, uh, I, uh, his side B is like you're in a mine cart and it like hits them for a lot. Cool. But what's interesting is like there are tracks that form. I forgot what down B was. Up B is awful. His recovery is like trash. So that might be enough to like make him not super great. <laughs> uh huh. Because um, he does like a V. Like he goes up and then down on like the the Whoa. hand glider. Okay. Um. But what's really fascinating is if you're if you hit B in the air, he just makes blocks. And, like, they're there for, like, maybe three or four seconds. Interesting. I just feel like someone dedicated to being a Steve main or an Alex main Mm -hmm. or an Enderman main or a zombie main will uh, get really good with those and, like, make it, you know, that that seems to be, like, it seems to be a very high skill ceiling character for my very little time with them. Yeah. I don't really like the feel of him at all. I'm a Byleth main, sorry. Uh, but yeah, he's interesting. He's really fascinating to play as, and I'm excited to see like what people do with him in the future. Yeah. That does sound really cool. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Thank you for the update. I actually you haven't bought the new fighters pass yet. <laughs> wow. Sorry. Sorry. What are you saying? I haven't bought the new fighter pass yet. Oh yeah. It's, uh, some Min Min and Steve so far. There are four more characters. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I think I'm going to wait for like one or two more before I decide if I'm going to buy it or not. That's, that's probably the move. I mean, I'll I probably just... buy it regardless. Cause like. I can't I can't have Super Smash Brothers Ultimate without all of the characters. Yeah. That feels not okay, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I got my weird bootleg copy without Pac-Man. Yeah. Oops. I feel like the FBI is going to come to my house if I don't buy the fighter pass. <laughs> you don't have Min Min? I'm out of here. <laughs> Which way did he go? Um, <laughs> Kick his ass. <laughs> but uh, thank you for the update. I'm, I'm very interested. I actually kind of want to watch some like high-level minecraft steve play on twitch or something <laughs> maybe i'll do that this week and just see what's up hey should we wrap I did, up? Yeah, I, 
yeah we should wrap up but that that's my steve update i'll let you know where i am next week cool thank you so much yeah, um no problem hey thank you all so much for listening to the podcast uh every week we really appreciate it as as we say every week if you if you like the show uh the best way to help it grow is to just tell a friend about it just like somebody who you know who you think would like the podcast just share it with them we don't we we have but don't anymore pay for ads for the show we did a couple times just to see how it went and like i don't really know how it went honestly hey if you're a person who listens to the show because of an ad you saw somewhere i'd be very interested to speak with you <laughs> let me just say that i guess out loud um but outside of that we have a discord with uh, it's just a great community honestly um just yeah. like an extremely cool group of people um hanging out in the discord um and and let me be honest like joining a discord is an intimidating thing and i get it i mean i grew up in the 90s i know what it's like to hop into an internet forum where everybody seems like they know each other <laughs> and are chatting with one another it's a difficult thing to do um yeah. so i'll just say this up front like i'm not gonna be like our discord's different we're cool but like I think that the people in our Discord are very welcoming and very receptive yeah. to new voices coming in. Um, so if, if you want to join and like it's a little intimidating, I totally get that. Um, we have a great welcome channel. We have like an introduce yourself channel. You don't don't feel compelled to do those things just because they exist. If you just want to like hop into the I don't know the Stardew Valley channel and just like fucking chill there, that's cool. If you want to hop into the music channel and just chill there, that's cool. I spend all my time in the technology chat channel. To be totally honest, because I'm just constantly thinking about technology, then um, that's that's cool. Um, so if you want to be a part of that, you can go join it there. It, all that link is at uh, into the cast online, along with our links to everything else that includes our YouTube and our Twitch. Uh, Steven's streaming scary games every Friday. Um, starting next week, I'm going to be streaming every morning again, which I'm really excited to yes, do. Yes, I'm so excited. Um, I don't know if it's going to be Hades or something else. I <gasps> imagine it's going to be Hades, but we'll see. I mean, I, I think it's going to be it's going to be something. And it's going to be yeah. every morning. So just get ready for that. And uh, yeah, if you if you want to uh, write a review on Apple Podcasts, that would mean so much to us. Um, you can go do that. That link is also at Into the Cast Online to find us on Apple Podcasts. Um, and outside of that, uh, we also have a Patreon, which, uh, as we've mentioned many times in the past, um, is a thing that you can back. We don't have any rewards or anything like that is really just like an, if you want to, you can do it. It helps the show grow. Um, it allows us to buy equipment to make the show sound better. Um, we recently switched podcast hosts from anchor to transistor.fm, which is now a paid podcast host, which, you know, your donation allows us to do things like that. Um, so we can upload things like an eight hour games of the decade episode, uh, which <laughs> other, uh, hosts don't allow us to do. Um, so things like that. Um, so that's at patreon.com slash into the cast. That's also at into the cast online. If you want to just go to that link, um, if backing the Patreon in any way negatively affects your uh, finances, please do not back the show. I, it's going to be so okay. We're going to be all right. We will not take it the wrong way, literally at all. Please, um, only back us if, if you feel like that's an okay thing for you to be doing. Uh, if you feel any kind of way about it, that's not overwhelmingly positive, then it's fine. And outside, is there anything else? Am I thinking? Of, am I missing anything? Uh, we've got an exciting bonus episode coming up. 
that we're recording soon. Yes, we're recording a bonus episode this weekend um, with uh, tomorrow from GameSpot, which just like fucking thrilled about. So excited. Uh, yeah. We're going to be talking about the uh, Arkham trilogy that is uh, Asylum, City, and Night. Origins is not part of this because we can't play it. <laughs> um, we did get a great tweet recently that informed me that you can play it on Xbox One because it's backwards compatible, but mm. you have to have the disc. Uh, and my Xbox One S does not have a disc slot so i can't play it which was like that was like that was like learning that was like learning that i had made a million dollars and then finding out that it was like an accounting error like (laughs) (laughs) very upsetting yeah totally um but anyway uh so we're gonna be talking about those three games if you have any questions you would like us to discuss on the show i mean if you've listened to the show before you know what kinds of questions we like to answer um so please feel free to send whatever you want uh about any of those games or not even about those games maybe just about batman in general um because tam and i are big batman fans steven is also a batman fan um yeah a little eclipse by you too but yeah i can at least chime in you can hang any, you know i i watched batman and robin so i, can <laughs> <laughs> I played batman forever on the sega genesis so i'm good i played batman returns on the snes that was like our uh like two asteroids flying past each other <laughs> moment in childhood anyway all of that is happening um so please feel free to send us questions literally however you want whether it be in the discord on twitter on instagram uh whatever all of that said my name is brendan bigley you can find me on the internet at brendan bigley you can use this to help you live <laughs> there it is i was <laughs> waiting for it to happen again honestly. it's only funny to me i just find something i like and i keep doing it uh, i'm stephen hilger you can find me at stephen hilger thank you for that's everything. called a hobby stephen i think your hobby is <laughs> saying that quote out loud into a microphone hobby i found something i like i think i should keep doing it but i don't remember why ufo wars <laughs> Batman Origins. I could play it if I had an Xbox One. (laughs) Anyway, love you all. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful night and see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. How do you like apples? (laughs) (laughs) That's not even correct. Start online.